joining us for the first time uh, or you are visiting, really good to have you. Thank you for uh, giving up your Sunday morning uh, to come and worship with us. Um, And we trust that you are and will have a great time um, of being with us in the Lord's presence. Um, We have started a new series called We Are Sunrise, and uh, where we're looking at the the reason why we exist as a local church here on the island. Why are we a faith family on this island? And uh, we're saying that we exist, our vision and our mission statement is that we exist to know Jesus and make him known. So individually and corporately as a faith family, we exist firstly to believe in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and then we have the incredible privilege of growing in an ever-changing, ever-sanctifying relationship with Him, so much so that we cannot help but make Him known in this world that so desperately needs Him. And so last week we looked at the biblical grounds for this mission statement of ours to know Jesus and make him known. We looked at the Great Commission where Jesus says we are to know him as the one who has all authority. He said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, he's saying that there is no one or nothing else that has more power, more authority than him across two spiritual or across two realms, a spiritual realm and a physical realm. And then he says, in light of that, in light of who he is, in light of his authority, go. Go make him known. Go make disciples of all people groups. Go into the world and make him known. Uh, Go and make disciples of people so that they too can then go and make him known. Go and make disciples who make disciples. So this morning we look at another aspect of Jesus that we need to know and then go and make known, and that is Jesus as our priest, Jesus as our great high priest. Now, I'm guessing the word priest here alone uh, conjures up some uh, many thoughts and feelings around this, this auditorium. Many of us come from, from different backgrounds, different cultures, different theologies regarding church, and particularly this, this word priest that, uh, like I said, might, might stir up different feelings, different thoughts within us. Maybe some of you come from more of a traditional church background where a priest uh, officiated a, a very liturgical service, you know, a very structured service, and that was either a good experience for you or a not so good experience for you. Maybe it was a good time to have a nap. I'm not too sure. And for others of you, you come from the other spectrum where uh, you, the other extreme spectrum of church experience where, you know, the word priest was never even used. You know, I'm not even too sure what a priest does. And then maybe for some of us, others of us, we, don't, we just don't get a good feeling when we hear the word priest because of, of how um, the media has portrayed them or how certain scandals around certain priests have been exposed or even how certain Hollywood movies have portrayed them uh, in, some of their, in some of their movies. And so no matter what your thoughts or your feelings are, we need to understand that the office of a priest is actually vitally, vitally important. But what we're going to see is that this office belongs to no ordinary priest. But essentially what a priest does is represents people before God Almighty. He represents people before God Almighty. In other words, he mediates or he intercedes between the two parties, God and people. Another way of understanding the word priest is to understand it as the word bridge. And so that just immediately infers that there's a giant 
chasm between man and between God. And that he fills the gap. He pleads. He comes before God and he pleads before this almighty God for mercy on the fallenness of man. He pleads mercy for us. And so therefore they themselves are to be above reproach as they stand in the gap between us and God, they need to have a clear conscience about their moral state. And this, of course, is where the problem comes in, doesn't it? Because priests are not superhuman. They're just like you and I. They're prone to temptation. They're prone to fall into temptation. They're prone to sin. So just to clarify, I'm not your priest, and neither is Adam, and neither are all the elders your, your priests. A natural man is just not simply going to cut it as your, as your priest. We all need a supernatural high priest. And so it's with no surprise that I'm arguing for that we need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus as our great high priest so that we can then go make him known in a world that so desperately needs his mediation between this world and between God Almighty. Now, maybe for some of you, maybe, you know, you're kind of new to Christianity or you're kind of still checking it out and, and you know, saying that there's a, a giant chasm between you and God, maybe that would be slightly offensive to you. I mean, who are you to say that uh, there's a giant chasm between me and God? I'm, I'm fine. And so maybe it's statements like that that have kind of put you off Christianity in the past, but if you are here, or maybe you'll listen to this on the radio, or you'll listen to this on the podcast sometime, I'm asking that you don't just check out in this moment, that you listen to what the Bible has to say. Well, think about it this way. The office of a priest has been around for, for centuries and centuries. It even predates Jesus. And so just because it has persevered for that long demands at least our consideration. But I promise you, you will hear something amazing about Jesus as our ultimate priest in our lives. So if you have a Bible, or you're welcome to grab a Bible in front of you, in one of those, those pockets in front of you, or have a look at the screen, or jump onto your Bible app, please turn to or click to Hebrews 4, uh, verses 13 to 16. Hebrews 4, verses 13 to 16. It's our text for this morning. The writer of Hebrews says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, talking about God Almighty, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here we go. Here's what we're saying this morning. Sunrise exists to know Jesus as our great high priest and then go make him known. So here's what we need to know about Jesus as our priest. You can see this on the flip side of your bulletin if you've got one. 
This is where we're going this morning. Number one, we must know Jesus as our supernatural high priest. Number two, then, as our sympathetic high priest. And then point number three, the final point, is kind of like a, a result of knowing Jesus as our supernatural and sympathetic high priest. We can approach his throne of grace. So here we go. Point number one, we can know Jesus as our supernatural, or we must know Jesus as our supernatural high priest. So first, let me give you the, the bad news which kind of sets up the reason why we need no ordinary priest, why we need a supernatural priest. Look at verse 13 again. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, I would love to sugarcoat that and go, Guys, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. It's not going to be that bad. But that would be one of the most unloving things that I can do for you. I would hate it if on that day you turned around to me and you said, Hey, listen, bro, I, I was in your service. Why didn't you explain that? Why didn't you tell me what that meant? And that would be far worse for me to stomach than to explain it to you now. The writer of Hebrews is, is referring to judgment day here. When Jesus returns at the end of the age, whenever that might be, to judge every single person who has walked on this planet. And he says nothing will be left hidden. Everything will be exposed. And we must all give an account for all of it. So do you feel the weight of that? I can feel your, your silence. And so the second question then is, do you feel you could confidently mediate your own case before God Almighty, before this very sovereign, holy, creator God? Could you confidently on your own mediate your case before him? And I'm hoping you're saying no. I'm hoping you're saying, no, I, I need a priest, because that is what they do. But we need no ordinary priest. But now let me set that up by uh, first having a look at, the, at a man-orientated priestly system. We're going to have a look at the Old Testament priestly system in order to set that up. So the job of the, of the high priest back in the Old Testament was that once a year, called the Day of Atonement, uh, he would enter the part of the temple that was known as the Holy of Holies, it was where the, the very presence of God was said to be. And it was separated from the rest of the temple. In fact, it was separated from the rest of the people by a very, very thick curtain. And he was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. And there he would make sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel for their sin before God Almighty. And God would, would look upon these sac the sacrifice of the sheep or the lamb or whatever it might have been. And his rightful indignation toward their sin would be averted, would be satisfied for that moment, for that year. And then he'd have to do it all over again. In fact, there were other sacrifices that they had to perform throughout the year. But before he could perform the, the sacrifices on behalf of all the people, he himself would have to make sacrifices for his own sin. And so it was a priestly system that was inadequate. Because here you had a high priest who was a sinner himself. 
And then he would have to continue making sacrifices after sacrifices for all of the people year in and year out. And then obviously when he died, you had to go and find another priest. So John Piper, have a look at this. He sums it up like this. He says, but that's the point of the whole history of Israel. It's imperfect, inadequate, and incomplete. It all points forward to something greater, to someone perfect and complete. It points to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our ultimate and perfect high priest. He's saying it was a natural system. It's a man-centered system, so it's a, a natural system. It pointed towards a supernatural high priest. So have a look at our text again. Look at verse 14. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So the word since there means since the previous priestly system was inadequate to save us from that impending day of judgment, here comes the good news. We have a supernatural high priest who's able to do that. Because look at three amazing supernatural things about him. Firstly, he says he is the son of God, meaning our great high priest is alive. The verse doesn't say he passed into the grave. After the cross, he passed into the grave. No, it says he passed through the heavens, meaning he is a priest forever. And like I said, the problem with a man-centered priestly system is that they keep dying. Every time you find a good priest, eventually he's going to retire. Eventually he's going to pass away, and then you have to find a, a new one to start the process all over again. And then secondly, he's no ordinary man. Our high priest is the very Son of God. He is God Himself. Your priest is God Himself. And the ultimate kicker here is that our high priest is not taking the the blood of goats and lambs and bulls as a sacrifice for our sins, but His very own life. Look at chapter 7 of, of Hebrews, verse 26 says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests, like man in other words, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Sunrise. What the writer is saying here, is that Jesus is not only simply the perfect high priest, he says, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. He then goes on to say that this perfect high priest of ours became the perfect sacrifice. He offered himself for our sins, and in doing that, he totally satisfied the righteous wrath of God against our sin. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, he said three words that changed eternity forever. He says, it is finished. That giant chasm between man and God, filled. That giant curtain that separated God's presence from the rest of the temple, from the rest of the people, tore in two. 
meaning the debt for all of our sin, past, present, and future, has been paid in full. Then he says he passed through the heavens, meaning he is sitting at the very right hand of God himself. And now talk about doing something supernatural. Listen to this, chapter 7, verse 24. He says he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. You notice that language there? You draw near to God through him. That's bridge. That's a bridge language. He is our bridge to God Almighty. Here's why. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost. He's able to complete your salvation because A, he lives forever, and B, he's therefore interceding for you forever. Do you see the supernatural significance of that? I mean, you can be honest. I mean, how, how, how secure would you feel if it was all up to me? If your salvation was up to me interceding for you? You would most welcome leave the church and go find another church. Our salvation or your salvation is safe and secure, not because of some man, not because of your own efforts, but because of this promised eternal Son of God who is keeping it secure for you. Now you should be looking at the last phrase of verse 14. It says, since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Then it says, let us hold fast our confession. Now you might read that and go, no, no, Jason, you see, it is up to us. My salvation is up to me because I have to hold fast to it. Yes and no. You can only hold fast to your confession that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and your great high priest because he has passed through the heavens. In other words, because he has conquered your sin, death, and the devil over your life, and because he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. The only reason why you can't hold fast to your confession is because of that. Or in other words, you can hold fast to your confession because he is undergirding your ability to do that. It's a divine mystery between Jesus' sovereign rule over your life and your responsibility to hold fast to that confession, to believe in him. Because Jesus is interceding for you, we could say it this way, you can and you will hold fast to your confession. Or by holding fast to your confession, you prove, you demonstrate Jesus is interceding for you. You demonstrate that a supernatural high priest is busy saving you to the uttermost. He's busy completing your salvation. So stop looking to man to save you. Stop looking to your own efforts to save you to try and make you right before God Almighty, to try and build a bridge between you and God, because you can't. Stop looking to other supernatural things to get you connected with God. They will deceive you, because you only have one supernatural high priest, Jesus himself, and he is doing it. Number two, we must know Jesus as our sympathetic high priest. 
One of the greatest attributes of a priest or a pastor is his ability to sympathize or empathize with what his people are going through. Their sin, their temptations, their weaknesses, their insecurities. Tempted uh, in the financial area, you know, cheated to, uh, tempted to cheat on a client or, or a boss. Tempted sexually, tempted to sleep with your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or to cheat on your wife or your husband or to look at illicit images on the internet. Tempted to feel prideful over your achievements. Tempted to cheat your way out of taking ownership over something that you should take responsibility for. Or tempted to take credit for something that belongs to someone else. And so a good priest should be able to sympathize with his people but still be above reproach so as to offer good, godly wisdom and advice. See, here's what we need to know about the recipients of this Hebrew letter. They they were actually tempted to turn away from the priesthood of Jesus and go back to this Old Testament priestly system, this old Levitical system. So look at what the author has to say about that, this... uh, man-orientated priestly system. Hebrews 5 verse 2 says this. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. In other words, he can be sympathetic. Here's why. Since he himself is beset with weaknesses. A priest, a, a man is beset with weaknesses. In other words, tempted to fall into temptation, tempted to, to sin, have other weaknesses, have other insecurities. And because of that, here's what he has to do, verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And so just like we... Am I there? Hello? Can you hear me? So just like we saw in the first point, it's a flawed system. Because it's filled with people, as the writer here says, who are beset with weaknesses. And we can all identify with this. We can all sympathize with our friends and our our colleagues. can sympathize with them in in their temptations and their sin and their weaknesses because we have the same. We're also weak. And so we know that our counsel and our wisdom will also be flawed. So if you haven't noticed already that... I'm flawed. I'm full of weaknesses. So is Adam. So are all of our, our elders. We're beset with weaknesses. But because of that, it's our greatest joy to point you to your true great high priest. Look at verse 15 again. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. But look at this. Yet without sin. The main difference between Jesus and an earthly priest or an earthly pastor is that Jesus is without sin. Meaning his priestly service to you, to us, is perfect. It's flawless. It's divine. It's supernatural. Now, believe it or not, some people read that verse and they say, well, well, he, he, he can't really sympathize with us, can he? Their argument goes on to say, if Jesus never sinned, then he doesn't know what temptation is like. 
He's kind of lived a, a sheltered life. He's out of touch with reality. He's out of touch with our weaknesses. He's out of touch with our temptations. I'll let the, the brilliant C.S. Lewis answer like this. Read it with me. It's, it's, it really is brilliant. He says, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. An amazing answer. He's saying, if you've given in to your temptation, then you don't know the full force of it. It hasn't come at you for hours on end. All we know is the incredible regret of giving in. And Jesus fought all sorts of temptations, and he never gave in. Can you imagine... I mean, just try and imagine, for 30 odd years, experiencing the full brutal force of various temptations and never giving in. So is Jesus able to sympathize with us? More so than we think. So this is what I want you to know, Sunrise. I want you to know this Jesus. I want you to know this great high priest who gets you who understands what you're going through or what you will go through and that he can truly help you because he has truly persevered through all sorts of temptations and has remained sinless. So, if he is our supernatural high priest and he is our sympathetic high priest, the only thing left to do then is approach his throne of grace. Point number three. Now, some people might argue, and they might go, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. The context of the whole passage is that of judgment. You know, the whole, everyone is naked and exposed before his eyes, and we've all got to give account for all of that, you know. So, how can this be a throne of grace? Isn't this a throne of condemnation? I mean, which is it? Is he a God of judgment or a God of grace? Yes, is the answer. God is holy. God is righteous, and it would be unholy and unrighteous of him to simply overlook our sin, to simply excuse our sin. I mean, think about it. Where does your sense of justice come from? You know, someone, someone does you in, something, someone does something wrong to you. What's the first thing that you want? I want justice. There needs to be rightful consequences because this person lied or this person did me in, this person cheated me on this. I want justice. Well, where does that come from? It comes from your heavenly Father. He is a God of holiness. He is a God of justice. But at the same time, he's also a God of love, grace, and mercy. And so what is a God to do? He comes up with a merciful, gracious plan that not only upholds his justice and his holiness, but also his mercy and his grace toward undeserved sinners like you and me. Look at our last verse, verse 16. 
says, let us then, and I just pause there for a moment. What is the significance of the word then? The word then, then it points us back, right? It points us back to this incredible, supernatural, sympathetic high priest of ours. So, so picture it like this. I'm going to kind of share my own allegory here, and hopefully it, it's, it won't be too bad. But picture this, if you can, if it's possible. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they kind of get together way back in eternity past, and because they know all things and they can see all things, they get together to discuss how they are going to deal with a sinful, rebellious mankind one day. And so the Father says, you know what, I have a plan. I have a plan that won't compromise on our holiness and our righteousness and our justice, but at the same time will demonstrate our love and grace towards these unworthy sinners. But what we're going to need is an ultimate sacrifice that will satisfy our righteous wrath towards their sin and at the same time end their separation from us. And so Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll become that sacrifice. Because I know goats and lambs and bulls, they're not going to cut it. I'll be the once for all sacrifice. I will take all of their sin, mankind's sin upon myself. I will take the full blow of your wrath against their sin upon myself. And in return, I will give them my righteousness so that they might be forgiven, that they might be in right standing with you. And then I will come and I will sit at your right hand and I will intercede for them forever so they won't turn away from you again. And then the Holy Spirit says, well, what I'll do is I'll go down after you've been the once for all sacrifice, Jesus. I'll go down and I'll open up their spiritual eyes and their hearts to see you, Jesus. To see what you went through. To see what you accomplished on that cross. In other words, to know you, Jesus. To know you, to believe in you as their Lord and their Savior. To be blown away by who you are, so much so that you will even go and make, they will even go and make you known in the world. And this plan, known as the gospel, it upholds both God's righteous, righteousness, holiness, and justice, and at the same time demonstrates his love, grace, and mercy towards an undeserving world. So that the then, then, in our verse, can happen. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Not, not condemnation. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where do you need help, Sunrise? Where do you need help right now? What are you struggling with? What has got its, its 
claws on you and you just can't shake it. Where do you need grace? Where do you need mercy? Now you know why it's a throne of grace. Because none of us deserve it. It's through the gospel, it's through the priestly service of Jesus that we have grace and mercy to help us. Help you through your temptations. Help you through your weaknesses. The only question then is, are you going to admit that you need help? Because we all need help. Husbands, how are you going to love your wives as Christ loved the church? How are you not going to cheat with your secretary? Wives, how are you going to love your husbands and, not, and stop breaking them down as the head of the home? Singles, how are you going to re- remain strong and pure in your walk before the Lord? How are we going to kill that sin that seems to keep tripping us up time and time again? Parents, I know you, you're tired and it's, it's easier to, to lash out sometimes than to teach or to help in the moment, but where are you going to get your help to parent your children and point them to Jesus? How are you going to overcome the anxiety in your life? How are you, you going to overcome those insecure thoughts that you're struggling with, the lies that you believe about yourself? When your health takes a turn, or your finances take a turn, where are you going to ultimately look to for your help? Let me show you three common unbiblical responses to the question. The first one is, I'm Superman. I'm Superwoman. I've got this. I can handle it. I can get through this on my own. Or number two, I can drown it all and throw my life into a pool of sensual pleasures. I'm just gonna drink it all away. Or I can simply give way to the paralysis of despair and insecurity and anxiety. It's just who I am. But God declares over these hopeless conclusions that we come to that Jesus Christ became a high priest to shatter that despair and to give us hope. To humble the superman or the superwoman who says, I've got it all. No, no, you need a supernatural high priest. And a priest to come and rescue you from drowning in your despair, from drowning in your anxiety. Because through Jesus, through your bridge, you can approach the throne of God Almighty. Get your mind and our hearts around that. We get to approach the throne of God Almighty with confidence. Say, I need help. I need help. I need grace. I need mercy. Sunrise, that's the Jesus I want us to know. But now remember... Remember what verse 13 said. It said, everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will be held accountable for the things they have done. But because of our great high priest, by faith in him, our judgment will be a judgment of glorification. We'll go be with our heavenly father for all eternity. But there is a world out there who doesn't know that. 
So sunrise, Jesus as our great high priest is too good to keep to ourselves. He needs to be made known out there in a world. They need to know that, that a plan has been made, that they have a great high priest who has bridged the gap between them and God Almighty before whom they will be held accountable one day. You have family members who need to know this. You have friends who need to know this. You have colleagues who need to know this. Brothers and sisters. And so I want us to spend the rest of our lives knowing that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who lives for us, who intercedes for us, who's our bridge. And I want you to find joy in that. I want you to find comfort in that. I want you to find peace in that. But I want you to want it for others too. I want us to want it for others too. I want us to know Jesus as our great high priest and then go and make him known in a world that desperately needs his mediation so they too can experience the same joy, the same peace, and the same reconciliation to the creator of the universe. Amen. Love to pray for us and worship team can come up. After I've prayed, we're gonna one of the best ways to finish off this sermon, especially or the service, is to then remember that Jesus is not only our great high priest, but he's also our perfect sacrifice, and we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So Father, words fail to Express how gracious we are for the gospel, for that great plan, the plan of our salvation. Thank you, Father, that you not only upheld your holiness, but also your grace and mercy. Jesus, thank you for, for taking that plan upon yourself, dying in our place. Holy Spirit, thank you that you come and you open our eyes to see what Jesus did, what he accomplished, so that we might believe in him and be reconciled. I pray, please, would you stir the gospel, that good news, so much in our hearts that we would make it known on this island, in this world. This world needs you, Jesus. It's so blinded to that need. So use us, please. Give us boldness, give us wisdom. But help us to know you more and more so as to go and make you known more and more in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.